Today's episode is brought to you by Creative Edge Publicity. Hello, hello, everybody. Kim Langling here, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Thank you so much for spending a part of your day with myself and my special guest today, Andrea Faye Christians. She is an author coming to us from the island of Malta. How exciting is that? I've not had an author or spoken to anybody from a tiny little island off the off the coast of Italy, so that's exciting stuff for me anyway. Andrea was born and raised in Swansea, South Wales, following a successful career in British radio, including the BBC. She moved to the southern Mediterranean island of Malta to pursue her dream of becoming a freelance writer. A decade later, she bought a farm in the Madani Mountains of Sicily, where a menagerie of rescue animals found their way to her. She has a son, in Malta and a daughter in Sicily and Andrea has a home and her heart in both places. She now divides her time between the neighboring islands. Suspension is her debut novel and she's working on the second book in the Time Bender series as well as a novel entitled entitled Chemo Club. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me on Let Fear Bounce. Now, I've got to jump in first off and say that you say you have a menagerie of rescue animals that found their way to you. I love that because my dog is a rescue and the dog prior to him was a rescue. So thank you for rescuing those sweet little souls. So many of them. Anyway, first, it's great to be here, Kim. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, Sicily is like it's like the last bastion of the Wild West. It's a country which is so untamed and beautiful, but there's a terrible, terrible um, animal welfare situation there. And um, when, I, when I bought the farm, this dilapidated farm in 2005, you know, people were like dumping puppies off. We'd find them caught in traps and, and we've ended up rescuing dogs, cats, horses, even people. You know, so it's, uh, it's an amazing, it, was, it is an amazing place. Um, but sometimes it's good to get a reality check and go into the real world. So I bounced across to Malta, which is a 35 minute flight away or an hour and a half by ferry. And Malta is an extreme contrast. It's, it's a concrete jungle. It's, it's vibrant. It's cosmopolitan. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's very different to Sicily. So in a way, I live two different, entirely two different lives in the two places, you know. Um, and I'm lucky to have have a home on well, on both islands. So it's it's a, it's a nice life. It's a nice life. Interesting. It would be interesting. I'm I'm here in rural Pennsylvania, surrounded by farms. So I've not I've not had the pleasure of visiting or living on an island. So good for you. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> great. <laughs> so I wanted I want to ask you about being a uh, you were in radio. In, and especially on the BBC. I want to ask a little bit about that journey. Yeah, people get very impressed by the BBC. I have to say my, my sort of uh, relationship with the British Broadcasting Corporation was actually quite short. I worked uh, 20 years in British uh, commercial radio, but I did some affiliated work with the BBC. Um, it was mostly like voiceovers for documentaries and stuff like that. And, and uh, so I didn't actually, I was never actually a staff member in the BBC because I didn't quite fit um you've got to be I can't explain to it for the beep you know you, you've got to be I'm too much I, I'm too much outside the box so I was more of a, a free spirit and so I worked better in commercial radio uh, and I had a really good run I had, a, I had an amazing career I, I met some interesting people and it was actually that that originally took me to Malta to work in radio and then when that sort of came to its natural conclusion I 
ended up becoming a writer, a, fe a features writer. And I did that for seven years. And then I went back into British radio for six years. And then I bought the farm. So it's been back and forth within the two mediums, but they sort of complement each other, you know, writing and, and, and working as a broadcaster. I appreciate how you mentioned that you were a free spirit and you think outside the box and you didn't quite fit. Mad, I, I think I, is the word. <laughs> I, have, I have often thought that about myself and I've recognized that over the years. And as I've grown in age and wisdom, let's just put it that way. I'm very wise. <laughs> my age is wise. I won't share my age. It's just that I'm wiser. <laughs> But I've I've noticed that that you know I've recognized that and I've embraced that of that part of myself and I'm just a little different, think a little different, see things different, view people's you know I don't take people's opinions or the way that they toss stuff out there. I never take it at face value. You know you have I always think about it and I see things just a little different than most folks do. So I appreciate that that you shared that about yourself. So. I'm glad to see that there's more of us out there. <laughs> Definitely, there's lots of us out there. Creative people are by virtue of what we do. We, we've got to be a little bit offbeat, you know? So, and I've stopped a long time ago beating myself up about it. It's just, you know, it's who I am. And I've always been that way. Um, and the writing thing, I mean, to be honest, I've been writing since I was a child. I'm sure my mother gave me a pen and not a rattle when I was a baby, you know? And, um, <laughs> And it was just like something that's just who I am. And, and I almost like accidentally fell into radio in a way. It was never my plan. I always wanted to be a writer. So when when my radio career took a pause, because I had a young daughter when I was working in Malta, I'd come back, I'd come over from British radio to work in Malta, had a young daughter, I didn't have any family support at the time. I took time out and I spent six years working as a, a features writer and I wrote for loads of publications. And that was a really good training ground to learn my craft you know, as a writer, because I've never had any sort of, um, you know, sort of a formal training to, to work as a writer. It's just something that's, that's within me. So when you have to work, you know, against a deadline or you have to have a magazine article, you've got to structure it. You've got to have, you know, your beginning, your middle, your end, your conclusion. You've got to wrap it all up. And really writing a book is, is very much the same, same thing. It's just a different stamina. You've got to spread it out over a much longer time scale, obviously. So... Yeah. So, yeah, it's been interesting. I and I, I can understand how, you know, the radio thing and then you're in you're in uh, featured writing for magazines and articles and what have you that you did as a freelancer and things like that. That all does fit very well as the little puzzle pieces mm -hmm. come together. It truly does. You know, you're you're mm -hmm. a storyteller by nature. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of interviews as well. You know, my latter part of my radio career. And um, and you, you get to meet some amazing people. And um, people often say to me, you know, your characters. And, and I, I take, I think a lot of writers do this, but I take aspects of people I meet. It might be a mannerism or something. And those end up going into my characters, you know. So we observe, you know. So radio gave me a, a great medium to do that. And and as you develop as a person, you, you're, you've got to find your voice as a writer as well. Um, like you have to find your voice in radio. Now that's a really important thing as a broadcaster. So many people have false personas. Uh, that was never the case for me. What you hear now is what you hear on the radio. And um, but finding your own voice as a writer, as a broadcaster, that's a very important aspect. And sometimes we have to be a certain point in our life, or we have to have suffered certain things and gone through certain experiences before we can we can be that person. I agree, and I I like how you mentioned. You know, there are things. You and I are close to the same age. I won't share what that age is, folks, but 
we were talking <laughs> off mic and we're close to the same age. So we've reached that same level of how you kind of view the world in a little different way than probably when we did in our thirties or so. Um, I like how you mentioned that your creativity and all that, it does, it changes and it morphs over time, especially when you have gone through something. Now for myself, I know I can look back from when I started actually really writing, which is back in 2004, I'll, I'll look back at what I wrote back then compared to how I write now. And it's like two different people were writing something. Have you found that with your own writing? Yes, I mean, working, you know, if you're working in a magazine article or you're working for a newspaper, obviously you've got a different style of writing totally. Um, from my sort of fictional side, yeah, it is. it evolves. It's like anything. The more you do it, the more confident you become, the better you become. I, I'd like to think I'm becoming a better writer. I think I am. It's just looking, to, you know, everybody's searching for originality, but that it's something a little bit different. And and I think it's, it's to have the imagination to just put yourself out there and also I don't know if you agree with me on this Kim but when you do write you can you're laying your you're laying your soul bare you know you can feel very vulnerable leaving yourself open to to people to 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 read who you are because uh, in my case a lot of my characters are based on real people or real experiences uh, they're composite characters but there's a lot of me in 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 what I write especially this this book I've written now um, and that takes a certain I wouldn't say confidence. You've got to be prepared to expose yourself, I suppose, in the way, you know? No, I, and I, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. And I, you answered one of my questions because I was going to ask, <laughs> do you find that you put pieces of yourselves in your books or in your, your characters when you're, when you're writing? Um, you know, you take them pieces, quirks and mannerisms from other people that you've met or maybe see on the street, but how much of a part of you might go into some of your characters. Well, we're talking about suspension, which is this debut novel, the novel, this time travel thing that I've written, which even the story about that hope came about is quite funny. But um, the the main protagonist, uh, she's 31. I, I had to think about her age, but she's very much loosely based on me in a lot of ways. Um, I was in my 40s when I started writing this book and then I shelved it for a number of years. But um, she's in her early, early 30s and she's living in a broken down flat. Now, that was, a lot of that's me. But the opening scene where she has an outer body experience is my friend who went into hospital and had a, a small operation and floated out of her body and told me about this. The landlord was a landlord of a flat who used to live next door to me in the flat that I was living in. The dog is a dog, but the dog, my own dog is called Buffy. The dog in the book is called Buster. And then I've taken, um, there's various characters in the book. The main protagonist, I would say, is, is based loosely on me, okay? Um, she's not me, she's younger, she's got uh, very red hair, and she's got one eye which is brown and one eye which is blue, heterochromia, which is something my grandmother had. And uh, so she's quite a striking character, but she's a, a very disappointed protagonist. She's had a marriage breakup and she doesn't really know where she's going with her life. And uh, so that that at that point when I created Carla, I felt like that. I, and then I so I took those feelings and then I, I sort of evolved and she became this this great sort of time traveler and, and found her meaning in life. And sort of I she was like I was living my my fantasy through her, if you know what I mean. She's not me, but there's a lot of me in her. Um, other characters, there's uh, 
there is a, a psychic called Matilda who's of Jamaican origin and she's very loud and very vivacious. Now, I can see her so clearly in my mind. She's fictional, but she is actually based on a lawyer friend of mine who is from um, Brixton. Her mother's from Trinidad. And this person has, she's a brilliant lawyer, but she, but she has the loudest laugh and she walks into the room and she is just, you know, she fills the room. And I've always liked that aspect of, of my friends. So I took that and I made her into Geraldine, who's a psychic who works as a hospital cleaner. So you see, are just aspects of, of people. But it's great as well, because it's, you don't need karma. If somebody's wronged you in life, you just put them in your book. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The sequel. I am having so much fun with the sequel. I just hope it don't get sued. But the person <laughs> is concerned. There's a few of them in there, you know? There's a few of them in there. They will never recognize themselves. Because people that have read Suspension have actually said to me, oh, your character seems really real. And I go, well, they actually are. <laughs> yeah. so, but for example, one is a man. In my book, he's a woman, you know, and then um, the nationality would be different, you know, and things like that. It's a great way to really vent what you're feeling. You know, people disappointing you, betraying you, loving you, leaving you down, whatever. You can take these feelings and you can put them into the person. And so that aspect of writing gives me a tremendous feeling of, of liberty. And, and obviously, as it's fantasy and time travel, you can pretty much take it wherever you want to go with it, you know? Now, that would be very fun. And it sounds like you're having fun with it. So <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> have you always wanted to write? Like if you can think back to when you were maybe 8, 10, 12 years old, that creativity, have you always noticed that or recognized that in yourself? Yes, I can take it back to five years old because there was um, a Mother's Day, you know, a parent's day at the school. And I can remember them calling my mother over and my mother thinking, oh, no, what has she done now? Because I was a naughty child, you know, and um, they were just saying, look at this. And they were just opening up, you know, the children have been given a homework of a story and they get that little picture on half a page. And mine was page after page after page after page and picture after picture. And they said, we think she might be going to be a writer. And so that love of writing, I've got a box under my bed in my mother's house of stuff I was writing as a teenager and she still got it. And that box became a computer file. And uh, I've got lots of half written stories on various hard disks, you know. Um, but the difference was suspension. I, I got to the point, I thought I really need to finish a story. And I've never written a time travel or fantasy story at all. I never even read that genre particularly. I love watching it on TV, but I'd never read it. And the story just became about quite accidentally because it's based on the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which is in Bristol in the United Kingdom. And this was a bridge, a monumental piece of architecture, civil engineering, which um, I used to pass beneath when I used to travel home to see my parents, I'd fly into Bristol airport and I would, I would drive below this bridge and just look up at it. And so then I just thought it was also near the BBC film studios. And at the time the Beeb were doing a lot of like um, six part mini series. And I remember being eternally disappointed that they were very well produced, but I felt the storylines were a bit weak. And I thought, well, I could write better than that. And I had a few contacts in the Beeb from my work anyway. But I didn't know how to write a script. I had no idea. So I wrote Suspension, and that is a play on words. It's a suspension bridge, the Clifton Suspension Bridge. But my character, Carla, is also um, suspended between two worlds, between because she's actually died. She's died. And so she is what's called a dream walker. So she helps people cross over. And so that was a double play 
but that, that story came about because of this bridge. And then when I found out who'd actually built it, which was a guy called Isambard Brunel, who was um, an incredibly a genius, this man. He was a rock star in his time. He built Paddington Station in London and so many important iconic structures in the UK. And, and then I just thought, I've got to write this story, you know, and it just took a life of its own. Um, but it was the first one I'd finished, uh, Kim, you know, and that was the difference. And I, when I actually finished it, I didn't really think about publishing it. I just wanted to finish it. And then the publishing thing came about quite by accident a, a few a few weeks later, actually. I, I just met um, through a ladies' lunch in Sicily, uh, a lovely friend of mine. I was having a lunch. And then she introduced me to this, this lady called Marcia William Skaggs, who knew Echo Garrett of Lucid House. And, and Marcia's in Sicily, having worked in advertising, but retired to Sicily. And Marcia's in Atlanta. And, and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, I got this wonderful opportunity. And, and they've really been Marcia, uh, Isabel, the lady who hosted the lunch, and, and, and um, Echo. I have this wonderful team of supportive, great people. And I was lucky. You know, I, I, there are so many good books out there and great writers out there who just don't get the chance. And I just got lucky. That's the way I look at it, you know. So where do you where do you go from here after this book? What what's your plans? Or and I know you have a few things in the works, but is there what what's your plans? Is there going to be a series with this book or are you just going to jump into okay. something completely different? Like I know you have another book that you're working on currently, which yeah. is yeah. totally different. I'm going to from... tell you about that. From, from this one well suspension obviously is that as i told you the name of the story it's a time it's, it's part of the time binder series right now if i say to you what is a time binder you're probably going to say to me you don't know what that is um have you any idea ever heard of the phrase time binder i've heard the phrase but in my head i'm probably thinking of what it, i'm probably thinking incorrectly of what it actually is but a time binder it sounds like someone who has the ability to hold you in a certain spot in time it's great. It's wrong, but it's great. <laughs> I like the idea of that. Actually, I could use that. But actually, we're all time binders. And because uh, I was looking for a name for this series, I wanted something different, you know. And then I stumbled across, across this phrase and I thought, this is brilliant. So what a time binder is, it, it's what sets us apart. It sets us apart from animals, okay? Animals evolve. They live in caves. They evolve the way nature needs them to evolve to survive humans we learn from previous generations let's take the egyptians what did they give us they gave us so many things they gave us astrology they gave us medicine they gave us ink okay the um the romans they gave us roads they gave us drainage that's time binding so i'm writing a sequel of the time the second book in the time binder series and what i've done is i've taken that concept of learning from past civilizations and the bad guy spins that idea and he's using what's happened in history small events to change time for his own benefit but the thing is that obviously it's like taking a little pebble and dropping it in the middle of a pond but instead of getting a ripple you're getting a tsunami because this whole the repercussions of changing time you know has it has a continuous effect so in the second book Carla is sent back to sort this situation out and, and she's on a one-way ticket. And basically, she can't come back. She knows she can't come back unless she sorts out the situation. And there's a lot to it. I mean, in the second book, she ends up going, first of all, to 16th century England, because she thinks that's initially where the problem is. She has to trust the bridge. The bridge is a portal, okay? 
And she sorts out what she thinks is the problem. She gets back into to the portal. And next thing she knows, she's up to her ankles in mud. And she's like, where am I? She's in medieval Germany. Okay. And so she sorts out that situation. And what I've also done, which I haven't told you yet, is I've taken real historical events and real people. Um, Isambard Brunel, for example, was in the first book. And there were, there were incidents that happened that I've used in the book. And in the second book, I've taken... Um, um, Conrad, Friar Conrad of Marburg, who was the first papal inquisitor. The, you know, this is the guy that burned the women at the stake, but he did it by the thousands. So he he's the bad guy in the second book. But in what actually happens as well is that she jumps into the future as well. So and that's going to be the, the second book. Whether there'll be a third, I don't know. There's plenty of there's plenty of potential there. So that's what I'm I'm on the deadline. I'm against the clock to finish that, and I'm halfway through that to finish that sequel. And it's again, it's got the same uh, sort of um, dynamic as, as suspension, quite fast moving, but it's it spans a lot more time, you know, time scales than the first book. So that's one thing I'm working on. Now, simultaneously, I've had to shelve this for now. I'm halfway through a book called Chemo Club, which is entirely different. And as the name Chemo Club suggests, it's about chemotherapy. And I feel that this is, in fact, I've been told this is a very important book to write because even by my surgeon, because I had breast cancer, I was diagnosed in 2019 and then it returned last year. And again, I've been lucky and I'm cured and I'm well, but I had the honor of meeting the most amazing people on my road to recovery. And I'm not just talking about the patients, I'm talking about the doctors and the nurses and people that were very, very real. And, and many of the people that we've been treated with me were, were having palliative care, they were not curable but the bravery and then the love and the betrayal. My partner at the time left me during my cancer treatment after, you know, so you, so, and when I went to see my surgeon, he was like, he's gone. And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, you would not believe how often that happens. So I've written Chemo Club. It's not a memoir. It's a story about a group of people who are, are battling this disease and how they come together and how all the people um, around them react in good and bad ways to the illness. And I'm in the book, my name is Emily. And there's so many real people in, in the story, but I changed the names and changed the circumstances because I was actually treated in Italy and this book is, is based in the UK. So that's my, that's my um, second book. And I feel that's a very important book that I, I really need to finish. And I'm excited about finishing it because especially for women, you know, breast cancer is the reality of the world we live in. One in eight women will get breast cancer. Okay. And, and I, I, encountered the most amazing sisterhood and strength amongst women when I when I sort of got this disease I didn't talk about it very much until I started writing chemo club and obviously when it comes out I'm hoping that it, it will help people you know to see the more human side of it it's not just the illness it's about how it affects everybody so that it's a different type of book it's written in, in, a, in an entirely different style whereas suspension is a big sweeping story chemo club is very small it can be looking regarding somebody's hands and and he you know she had beautiful like clipped little fingernails and the girlfriend who's just left one of the characters she has these long painted nails like talons you know it's, it's about human observation it's it's a it was it's very 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 nice to write quite and quite cathartic as well as well i can yeah. i can imagine i can imagine that it would be and i agree that with the folks that have told you that it's an important book absolutely I agree. Uh, mm -hmm. And as we were talking off mic just a little bit, um, my sister has just went through breast cancer as well. And she's doing wonderful, you know, so you welcome know, to her. That's good to hear. Yes. Yeah. Praises and blessings all around for that. I'm, I was not in her shoes. 
but some of what she shared with me when she was, you know, at her treatments and the people that she met, it's, and me as a creative, listening to her share her story, I was seeing it through her eyes because she was explaining things, not, you know, you know, they were great people. They were so nice, so caring. She was explaining in more detail. So she was noticing a lot more. I, I noticed she probably didn't even realize it, but I think me as a, as a, as a writer, I was catching a lot more of that. And I like yeah, how you were yeah. describing how your book is written and it's, you know, observations and things like that. But I think it's definitely a book that that's needed and you're coming at it from a slightly different angle. That's why I think it's going to be an awesome thing. And it's I'm going to look yeah. forward to reading it because it sounds like you're coming <laughs> at it from a slightly different angle, not the clinical thing, but from that person, because Cancer doesn't define who you are as a person, and people forget that. No, I know, I know. But, but until you go through it, you know, you you know somebody who has, you can't really appreciate that. How can I explain it? it? I just felt I needed to write it. And you know, for example, when I just when the opening scene is that I'm actually Emily's going under under the anesthetic to have an her mastectomy to have her breast removed. Okay. And I can remember being they couldn't get the needle into my hand, you know, and because of the veins were all shot. And then and the nurse was getting quite tearful because she couldn't get it right. And I was like, don't worry, don't worry, it was hurting me. And in the end, the surgeon came um, and he just said, you just look at me. He was an old guy, obviously been doing this a long time. Next thing I knew, the needle was in, he was stroking my face. And I was strapped, strapped like Jesus on the cross on bo both sides. And I went to sleep listening to reggae music. <laughs> don't, you know, and that's how I went to sleep. You know? <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to have, have, to have this operation, you know, and so... And and just so the people are just so stoic and positive and you know and it, it, it once it was a great experience but it changed me you know and uh, and and I think people you know it's an awful disease and you do do learn to live with it but the fact is that it's like everything you do learn to deal with it and it actually in its own way has been a gift because it makes me appreciate life so much more I don't put off for tomorrow what I can do today and and I can tell you from the sixteenth of July two thousand and sixteen. So 2019, when I got diagnosed, that's when my second life started, because that's when I really started to appreciate life, you know, and, and I'm still here and hopefully I'll be here for, you know, some time to come. So, uh, yeah, that comes out in the writing and um, I'm halfway through that book and I'm hoping to get that out towards the end of next year, hopefully. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to read it. So you're going to definitely have to let come me back. know when that, yes, that, yeah. come back and definitely talk about that. Your journey is amazing. I have one last question for you here. In writing, because it's a completely different type of book that you're writing in Chemo Club, and since 2019, do you find that your writing, the way you write is different because you see things, you see the world differently now? It was a really good question. Um, I just think I'm getting better at it more confidence because you know when you when when you've got a professional for the first time reading your writing it, it's not an editor from a magazine it's a different it's a different almost a different medium but it's, it's obviously writing but uh when they come back and they give you positive reviews it, it, it instills your confidence that my finger hovered over the delete button on suspension several times was going to go and and even with chemo club but um, I'd like to say that I'm, I think I'm getting better at it and more comfortable. I mean, my grammar and, and spelling is atrocious, so you don't believe you've got to be perfect, okay? 
and I like to play with words and things like that it's just it's the creativity and I I think I just relax into it and also I often feel that my, there's somebody standing in the back of me it ain't coming from me it's, I'm channeling it's coming from someone else you know what I mean it's a good feeling so I'd like to think I'm getting better yeah I'd like to think so I like how you said I've relaxed into it <laughs> that's the best way to describe it you know no and I completely yeah. understand it I I like that. You're right. I, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And I also appreciate how you said you're you're channeling or it's coming from elsewhere. Yeah. The, the stories and the way that you write. Exactly. It's like going to I don't plan the books particularly meticulously. I, you know, the, the characters evolve. And sometimes they don't they don't play a game. They you know they want to they don't play ball. They got their own ideas. And I'm like, hang on, you're going off on a tangent here, but then I have to follow it, you know. So that happens a lot as well. Um, and I often, what I often do is I go into the gym, I do a little bit of a warm up, and I love to rewrite perhaps something I've written the day before. But you know, when you're um, a, a creating that new piece of text, that you're, you're forging ahead of the story, I use it like imagine a piece of clay, a piece of potter's clay, and you're throwing it down on the wheel and you're shaping it and working it. And that's when you work the new stuff, you know. But I often warm up and I'll just rewrite something I wrote the day before or I, uh, last week. And and so that's that's very pleasurable and very relaxing for me. And then when I when my brain is in gear, you know, I, I feel like my full potential. Then I like to push ahead, you know. And that's usually in the morning when my brain is like fully charged. It's like a battery, you know. So you don't feel like that. You're the same. I am the same. You're yes, the same. yes. So you identify. I like I like the analogy that you used as forming clay. I yeah. with words. I'm always I I'm always you know I've used many times that I feel that writers and including myself were weavers. So we take words yeah. and we're weaving them together yeah. to provide a visual, a mental visual for the readers. So we're, we're weaving this tapestry of words together. So I like how you mentioned with, you know, yeah. you're molding the clay yeah. you're molding because it it's the same type of mental image that I have in my head as weaving this tapestry together to provide this beautiful mental image, you know, or maybe uh -huh. not so beautiful, yeah. but at least an image for the reader. So yeah, awesome yeah. analogy. So I've never thought of it. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that, but that's, that's lovely too, you know, weaving words, isn't it? So yeah, lovely, yeah. But that's what yeah. it is. And I, you know, if I, even if I just write a few words or whatever, or sometimes I've got a notebook or somebody will say something or a phrase and I've, I write it a little bit, I feel I've given a sense of purpose to my day. It feels that like it was the job I was meant to do you know i so, love um, that yes so you know yeah so as we wrap up here today andrea could you please share with folks where they can find your book that's currently out and if you've got a website or anything good like that okay well my book is available on all platforms it's on amazon.com amazon.co.uk obviously wherever you know where you're listening even i know it's in australia because friends have been buying it in australia it's on kindle you can get it from Barnes and Noble. You can get it on the book depository, as far as I know, which is an uh, more popular in Europe, but I know that you can get it. My website is andreafaychristians.com. Okay. Now, folks, everybody out there listening, those links will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to just easily click on them and learn more about Andrea. Andrea, thank you so much for being my guest on Let Fear Bounce. This has been a true pleasure learning about your, your journey of writing and the different directions that it's taken you. So thank you so, so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure. 
And all of you out there listening, stay tuned on Wednesdays, folks. New episodes drop each Wednesday. Thanks again for joining me and my special guest today, Andrea Faye Christians. My name is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed.